Before I get started, just a reminder to you that we do worship every Wednesday for Lent during uh, the Lenten season, both at noon and at 7 p.m. And then, of course, the schedule changes when we get to Holy Week, where we worship on Monday, Thursday, and Good Friday, again, both at noon and 7 p.m. This year, as we move through the midweek Lenten services, our theme is based on that verse from Isaiah chapter 53. It's a wonderful verse, and very simply, it's all about, by his wounds we are healed. We're going to be taking a look at that in light of the Ten Commandments. So this evening, the focus really is on the text where the gospel, the, the Pharisees are accusing Jesus of blasphemy. So let's start, first of all, with a definition of blasphemy. Who can tell me what blasphemy is? Claiming to be God, but not being God. Okay, that's one form. Anybody else? See, I love it when we get to these religious terms because y'all should know these things, but we don't, and we assume that everybody knows them. So that's why I like to take the time to define them. We should probably maybe call on some of our Lutheran school teachers who supposedly learned this in college. You're too far removed from college? Well, it's also misusing God's name. Using it inappropriately. We're going to talk about that in a little bit. It is claiming to represent God when you don't. That is being a false prophet. There are many things that fall under the area of blasphemy. But let's start with the first commandment. First commandment is very simple. You shall have no other gods besides me. When we set up for ourselves other gods in this world, we are blaspheming God himself because we're replacing him. Whether that God is our finances, whether it's that nice brand new, well, not really brand new, but low mileage, like under a thousand miles, 1957 T-Bird sitting in our garage. That could be an idol. I knew a pastor one time who had one. It was a gift from his high school graduation. And because of the circumstances of his life, he'd never really gotten a chance to drive it much. And, and then after he got a chance to drive it, he thought, well, if I park this thing for a while, it'd become more valuable. And then his church went into a building project. And his conscience challenged him to sell the T-bird to help the church. I don't have a T-bird, folks. Just, just letting you know. Sometimes things can become our idols even when we don't intend them to be. It might be a sports team. Oh, I'm sorry, this isn't a Green Bay Packers Cup. 
But it's those things that can consume us, that take our focus away from God. And sometimes even our religion can become our idol. I do everything right, I do everything good, I live a good life, I do everything right. I'm a great Martha. And we forget to be a Mary and sit down at the feet of Jesus and listen. The first commandment, Luther reminds us, is all about fear, love, and trust in God above all things. To put God first in our lives. We live in a world that wants to put God aside to put him in last place. A world that constantly denies the very existence of God. And so let me tell you another way that we blaspheme God. By hiding the cross. It's by blending in with the culture. It's by being ashamed to admit we're Christian. It's our failure to share God with those around us because we fear the world more. The challenge for us is to understand what Christ did on the cross. That in going to a cross, he emboldens us. Where he takes a cross upon himself and suffers and dies there in our place. Because that's the kind of God that we have. A God that we can trust and love and yes, even fear above all things because he came to earth and dwelt among us and took a cross upon his shoulders and carried it to the place where they crucified him with help from Simon of Cyrene. He went there, he suffered, and he died. And it's that cross that gives us life and a new understanding of who our God is and how we can follow him in this world. And yet that's only the first of the commandments. The other one that we see this evening is that second commandment. And I, I kind of begrudge the kids a little bit today because they get to learn the shorter version, you shall not misuse God's name. When I learned it, it was, Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. How many of you learned it my way? Yeah, see, that's the good way, kids. What's it mean? Well, you know, everybody says it means we shouldn't swear or curse. Well, kind of, because you see, we don't really understand those words in our culture today. Swearing has to do with taking an improper oath in God's name. It's similar to the one we used to use as kids when we go, I swear by my mother's grave. Even though our mother was still alive, she never made much sense to me. But, you know, invoking God's name to somehow solidify what we're, what we're saying, it's blasphemy. That's swearing. Well, cursing by God's name. Now, there people go, well, that means you shouldn't use any foul language. You know, when I was in between college and seminary, I had a job in the construction field. They couldn't say, hand me the hammer, please. They had to preface everything with a bunch of expletives. 
And it drove me nuts. And I finally said, you know, you can use any curse words you want to. But don't use the name of my God in any way, shape, or form. Because that's offensive to me. Some of the rest of it was offensive too, but. And you know what? They stopped using the name of my God. No more Jesus Christ's or GD's or anything like that. They did, however, say something along the hand of the blankety blank 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 hammer preacher. And that was okay, because I kept preaching to him after that. You're going to call me preacher? That's what you're going to get. But to misuse God's name? Sometimes we do that without thinking. Our culture certainly does it. And I always find it amusing that the very God that people don't want to believe in is the very God that they profane. As if somehow acknowledging his existence even in that profane way. To misuse God's name is to misapply it. What we need to see here is that as Jesus is interacting with the Pharisees, one of the things that the Pharisees do is they try to disconnect Jesus, who is in their minds claiming to be God. They try to disconnect him from the works that he's doing. It's kind of like someone saying, I want to prosecute you, but I want to strip away all of your defense. And when you think about it, that's a sly thing on their side, but Jesus won't let them do it. Because Jesus knows that the very works that he do define him, and he does the works he does because he's God. Who else can raise the dead, make the blind to see, the deaf to hear, the lame to walk? Who can walk on the waters, feed the thousands? A mere man? No. Son of God? Yes. You know what's interesting? Is that Jesus takes that very same concept and he places it upon us as his followers. So that if you are a disciple of Christ, the works define you and you do the works God calls you to do. By this all men will know that you're my disciples by how you love one another. Living the faith in our lives every day helps us to stand out from the rest of the world around us. And that's why God gave those commandments in the first place. As he's calling Israel out of Egypt into Mount Sinai, he says these words, I am the Lord your God who brought you forth out of the land of Egypt, out of slavery. Therefore, I want you to live like this. You shall have no other gods before me. He sets them apart with that very first commandment. Because you see, at that point in time, they become the only monotheistic culture known in the world. Everybody else has many gods. In fact, they, they're gods, they carve them out of stone and they carve them out of wood and they carry them around with them in their pockets and when they get to where they're going, they set them up and they worship them. And then when they're done, they take them down, they put them in their pockets and they carry them wherever they go. 
God gives his people a similar command. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, I, the Lord your God, the Lord am one. No other gods. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to meditate upon my word. When you lie down, when you get up, when you walk, I want you to learn my word. I want you to tie it to your forearms and to your head. I want you to commit it to memory and let my word shape you and form you and mold you. Because you are a people who are set apart. You're not the same as the world around you. And we Christians, we go out of our way sometimes to blend in with everybody else around us. We don't want to stick out because that's a little scary. And yet, that's what we're called to do. To bring glory and honor to the name of God. To wear it visibly on our foreheads every day, not just once a year. And to wear it in our hearts and in our lives. To share the love of Christ in word and in deed. By this, we make God's name holy. It's set apart. He's put his name on you and on me. And he says, wear it for the world to see. Let them know who you are. Why? Because I died for you. I washed your sins away. And I've made you new. By my wounds, you are healed. In Jesus' name, amen. And now may the peace of God which passes all of our human understanding keep your hearts and minds in the true faith of God in Christ Jesus unto life everlasting. Amen.